Sometimes life can feel like a battle. And sometimes your own mind makes you feel like you're at war with yourself. But the fact of the matter is you are not alone. And that's why this show is here. And that's why I'm here. To show that you are not alone. Welcome to Mental Fisticuffs. You're not alone in this battle, and no matter what your mind or what the world can throw at you, there's people here to support you, to stand alongside you, to be there with you, and that's what this show is all about. Bringing people here, dealing with these issues every single day, to show you that you are not alone, and we are here with you, and we are here to help. So take some time and listen to this episode, and learn ways to help yourself in the battle with your own mind and life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Mental Fisticuffs. I am your host, Josh Wenis, and I want to thank you for taking some time to check out this new project that I have going on. Uh, Those of you that know me beforehand may have known me from uh, a couple of the other podcasts that I do host, uh, pro wrestling-related podcasts like Jobbing with Josh or Reliving the Territories. Or maybe you found me another way, and I'd love to hear how you did find me. Uh, But let's dive right in. I don't have a format for this specific episode. Other episodes in the future here will have a specific format and, and so on and so forth. But this introductory episode really is more of me sharing who I am, what I'm doing here, and and why I wanted to start this project. Uh, Mental fisticuffs came about because I deal with my own issues of depression and anxiety and um, mental health, just pitfalls, I guess, really. Um, You could label a few different ones in there, but we'll we'll get into that more as we go. But uh, I wanted a resource for people to be able to listen to and hopefully relate a little bit to, and then also a platform for people that are close to me and I know to be able to reach out and speak out and and share their truths and share what they're going through. Because I've found that sharing these things, and I'm sure you've all heard the experts that say that sharing these things is profoundly Um, strengthening to your mind. It helps a lot to be able to have a safe space to explain what's going on or try and explain what's going on. A lot of times I'm not able to, uh, but we're going to try here in this first episode and hopefully it's kind of a, a, uh, an icebreaker for those of you that are listening to be able to reach out to your own friends or to myself or anybody else that you may be able to speak to, even if it's a, a therapist or a doctor or whatever. Um, so let's let's dive right in and talk a little bit about myself. Um, you know, I live in rural Iowa, northeast Iowa to be exact. I was born and raised in the area. I'm about an hour from where I'm living right now. And uh, in a born into a lower middle class uh, family and watched my parents, you know, struggle for everything and uh, struggle to to provide for myself and my my sister and not only just provide but also try and give us whatever it is that we wanted working low income jobs uh and that kind of thing. We weren't given, you know, every single opportunity out there, but what opportunities we were given, our parents made sure that we we acted upon them and went after them to the best of our ability. Um that being said, 
you know, going into school, uh, even as far back as grade school, kindergarten, whatever, however you want to call it, you know, going way back that far, I was always to be, you know, kind of blunt and honest about it and upfront, I was always that that nerdy fat kid, to be completely honest. And uh, the the butt of all the jokes, I went to a small school. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of little cliques, you know, little groups that people hung out in. You were either cool or you weren't. That's basically what it amounted to. And I was, was far from it. Um, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up at all. Uh, I had one friend who was there from, you know, age four, three or four for me, uh, all the way up till now. Uh, Eric is my, my best friend. He's been there for everything, all my ups and all my downs. Um, and, and his friendship has meant a lot to me over the years. Um, so I had Eric, who actually grew up not far from me. So we spent a lot of time together outside of school as well. Uh, but like I said, in school, I was picked on. Um, I didn't fit in. I wasn't exceptionally athletic in any way, shape, or form, although I did participate in sports. A lot of that had to do with we had a small school. So if we didn't participate, if those of us that were interested didn't participate, uh, we couldn't have teams, really. So I did participate in sports, uh, pretty much everything from from the time that I was able all the way up to graduation. Um, I was fairly intelligent in school. Um, school work seemed to come easy for me. I was very interested in science and understood English and history and social studies and that kind of thing very, very well. Math was never my strong suit, but that's besides the point. Um, but because that kind of stuff came easy, that created a whole nother issue. Like I said, the nerdy fat kid, the smart nerdy fat kid, that kind of rolled in uh, to everything. And I did a lot of feeling sorry for myself with that. And I still do. It's something I struggle with to my to this day. Um, but the other thing that I dealt with was a lot of expectations set upon me and not by my parents. Um, more from my educators, my teachers, and those around me. While they may have seen it as trying to motivate, it actually did quite the opposite. You know, when parents would go, will go to parent-teacher conferences, mine would always hear, you know, Josh is such a great student, but we know he can do so much more. You know, he can do so much better, and we're, we're waiting for him to do better. Even though I was getting, you know, decent grades, like B's, um, B's and A's, I, I wasn't a 4.0 student by any means, but I definitely was a solid B student. And, uh, but I, I would get that report back, and... I, it's one of those things that's frustrating looking back at it because it, it set in me that that whole mentality that, well, I could do better. I'm not good enough. And it really kind of was detrimental in that sense, in my opinion, looking back at it. So fast forward a little bit through some schooling and getting into high school, still not cool in any way, shape or form, still the butt of all the jokes, um, the kid who's getting, you know, pantsed in the hallways and, and that kind of thing. And then into, you know, as you become a social creature in high school, um, there were, there were no interest, there was no interest in me from the opposite sex, from girls, um, or males for that matter. Um, there was no interest whatsoever. And that created more of this whole, like, I don't deserve anything kind of mentality that I suffered with. 
for a long time. Now, there were interests that I had, and there were several times that I did reach out to those at an early age, I want to say like sixth grade, fifth grade, that kind of thing, just that playful little, you know, interest. And, you know, this is my my girlfriend that I won't talk to because I'm, you know, scared or whatever. But I always got shut down and shut down in, and I don't want to say rude ways, but ways that always seem to get amplified because of other people involved. You know, other kids would hear about it and, or other kids would pick up on the ways that I was trying to uh, insinuate myself or, you know, insinuate a relationship and it just backfired completely. And that made me uh, already a shy kid, a very much more shy person in general. So you get through school, get through high school. My senior year, I finally did, you know, uh, get a girlfriend and, and whatnot and uh, go from there. But so that helped a little bit. But then graduated high school and went to college and I went away to college um, and was on my own for the first time, really. And I realized that I needed, this was a fresh start. People who didn't know me and had no, you know, no reputation of me built up in their minds. So this was something that I saw, looking back, as a poor opportunity is what it was. But it was an opportunity to make myself more interesting. And so what I did is I would make stuff up. I would make up stories. I would lie. I would try and make myself seem more interesting to people that I wanted to be interested in me. Um, this, you know, it never really was anything that anybody caught or that anybody at least outwardly said anything that they knew that I was lying or found out that I was lying. Um, but you know, looking back, I, I see, I, I see what I did and it makes me feel bad, you know, just feeling like that's what I had to do. Uh, but you know, various relationships and things like that, but still struggling with, you can do better. And college was an opportunity where I didn't have anybody telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing. And I let college go. I, uh, my first year, I didn't go to a lot of classes. I didn't do well at all. Got put on academic probation, appealed it and, uh, or appealed a suspension and got uh, let back in for a second year where I did more of the same and got put on academic suspension for a full year. And in that time, I transferred to a community college. I moved back home with my parents and transferred to a community college. And while at that community college, my parents, at my age, was I was 21, um, my parents got a divorce. And that was hard on me in the sense that I was 21. I knew what was going on. That's the age-old thing, you know, when, I, when I've talked about my parents getting divorced with some people and, you know, they ask how old I was and I tell them, they're like, oh, well, at least, you know, you were a little bit older. It's, it's a good thing, kind of, but not really, because you understand what's going on. You see the breakdown and it's, it can be harder in that sense too, or hard in that sense. It's hard on either, you know, whether you're young or old. But um, I went through that and that was, I don't want to say it was a rough divorce, but it, it had its moments. It came about in a fairly traumatic way, or fairly rough way, I should say. I'm not going to get into any more of that. That's a little more personal. But um, 
it was it was difficult to deal with and i still to this day and that was 15 years ago you know i still to this day am dealing with kind of the the family members that have kind of shunned whoever chose what side and and all this other business that that is just aggravating as all get out but i went through that and then after that like i said i was at a community college and i was doing fairly well i was going to classes doing well and then i got this opportunity to move to another state go to a different school for something that i was very passionate in um, i was going to go to school for paleontology that's the study of dinosaur bones or ancient ancient animals if you will um, specifically dinosaurs i was that three-year-old kid that never grew out of that phase i still haven't but um it was another opportunity to move and and start fresh and i seized it and i did a lot of the same you know i was making stuff up about myself trying to be somebody that i wasn't um, trying to make myself look better in front of other people at the same time i would ignore my schooling um, i got into a relationship that i don't want to call it a toxic relationship but it definitely had some ill effects on me at the time and even now still does. I got into a relationship um, and slacked off with school and let it go. And again, same thing, academic probation, appeal to suspension, got approved, went back for another year, academic suspension again, because I wasn't going to school. I wasn't doing what I needed to do or what I was supposed to be doing. And kicked out of school again, flunked out. Um, ouch. So there's another one. Uh, at that time, though, I had gotten a job at a retail store and was doing fairly well in that and had expressed interest in moving up the chain and becoming a, uh, a store manager. I had become an assistant manager and was doing fairly well with that um, and had the opportunity to train to become a store manager. So got moved to Denver, Colorado uh, and lived there for all of, I don't know, it was maybe like six months at most. Um, I moved there with the, the the lady or the gal, girl, female, whatever you want to uh, say for your, your pronoun, um, to to Denver. Moved there with her and, um, you know, did, did okay at the job. And I think I was doing well. I definitely was treated differently in the fact that I came from a rural area and had come to Metro Denver. And that was a whole new experience. And I was dealing with this uh, this woman that I was dating who had some, I don't want to say issues of her own, um, her actions. And she was. She was dealing with her, her own um, mental issues. And, and um, I don't, I'm trying to put it in a nice way here because she didn't have anything serious wrong with her by any means. But she was also growing up and changing a little bit. Um, and so that created some, some different dynamics with us, uh, but it was a lot of me taking care of her and taking care of her needs and letting mine kind of fall by the wayside in the meantime. Uh, but eventually I got let go from the position or from the company that I was working with. I was forced to either resign or be terminated due to some people that I work with not liking me and fabricating things about what I was doing with my time, 
at work and uh, just created all sorts of issues. It was a he said, she said situation, and I had a district manager who didn't like me in the first place. So, yeah, it was a really ugly situation. So, um, ended up moving back to rural Iowa, where I was from, and with this gal again still, um, and got a job back here and was doing, again, well with that, I thought, but she was incredibly homesick for South Dakota, wanted to be back by her family. And so that created more problems where I was dealing with her anxiety and her depression around that and um, not really dealing with my own issues that I had and continuously helping her out and, and letting me go by the wayside. So we moved back to South Dakota after a number of months. And um, I picked up another job that I liked um, and did fairly well at again and moved up the ladder a little bit and got moved into a higher position, was doing okay, started to get a little bit stagnant and felt myself hitting that proverbial glass ceiling um, and started getting the same stuff. You could do better. You know, why aren't you doing better? And I got complacent and, and got um, stir crazy at that point. So I found a different job. Uh, this different job was uh, as a car salesman. If you've ever sold cars or know anybody who has, um, it can be an extremely stressful situation. And it was for me. Very stressful, very out of my comfort zone, very not me. And it made things very difficult. So all this time still dealing with my now wife who I married, um, and her issues as she she grew. About this time, she got a, a solid job. She had really turned a corner and become kind of a different person and a more outgoing person um, and had seemingly resolved a lot of her own uh, issues up to that point. But um, anyways, uh, I struggled with this car sales job, and about eight months in, nine months in, um, they let me go. That was the first time that I had been fired from a position. Like, like I said before, I resigned on the other one, but I got fired for lack of performance. Um, I was devastated, truly and honestly. I really was. I was hurt. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Um, like I said, my wife at the time had a, a decent job and was was helping with that. I went back to the job I had previously, a call center job, and that was hard to go back to that, and I had to start at the bottom of the ladder all over again and deal with that. So a lot of you know people asking why I was back, that kind of thing, um, and that, that hurt a lot. All the while, I started to deal more and more with my own mental health issues, my own depression, my own anxieties. And they started to come to the surface a little bit more. And I got told by my then wife that I needed to suck it up and move past it, more or less. That's what I'm paraphrasing there, but that I need to get over it. Get over it was an exact quote. This shook me to my core because it was something that I couldn't have imagined saying to her when she was at her worst. Um, and her worst was far worse than what I was at at this point. Um, I didn't have the support there anymore. 
and behavior started to be a little bit erratic between the two of us. We grew apart, got distant. Um, I went back to the call center job, like I said, and struggled through that for a little bit. And then about that time, my sister was going to get married and it was going to be back in Iowa. And so the idea came up that why don't I move back to Iowa myself for the summer, take a couple of months to go back, um, quit work, find maybe find some temporary work back in Iowa while I was back there, or do something like that, and just kind of write my head, get 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 right in my head, and be ready to come back to South Dakota after the wedding and attack and just go go after it and live my life. Um, I did this. I moved back. And before the wedding, my then wife and I had decided that she was going to come and get me in Iowa and I was going to move back a little bit early because we were doing great talking and everything like that. Everything seemed to be a lot better. And then two days before she was supposed to come and get me, she called me at midnight, crying, fabricating stories, all this fun stuff. and. Um, Asked for a divorce. Um, that floored me. So then I had to go into uh, my my work. I had found a temporary job. I had to go into my work the next day and ask to stay employed as opposed to that day being my final day. Um, boy, that was hard. Uh, and then... So I dealt with, with that and, and the stress from that and the, the anxiety from that for quite a while. The divorce was not an easy process by any means. Um, there was a lot going on with that. And I was on my own. Um, I was hurt. I was devastated. And eventually, though, I got kind of to a point where I felt a little more free and felt like I could kind of be myself, a little introspection, gave me the opportunity to realize that, hey, I needed to be myself and stop being who everybody else wanted me to be. And um, so that was that was good, you know, in that sense. Uh, in, in the long run, it was it was the right move for the divorce. Getting married may have been a rash decision, uh, but hindsight being 2020, it is what it is. Uh, after the divorce, had the opportunity to go get my stuff um, and found that a vast majority of it, probably about 75% of it, had been sold or pawned or whatever else you want to you know, guess at how it was gotten rid of, including a lot of things that were incredibly sentimental and in some of things that were fairly valuable as well. I had no legal recourse or anything like that, so it is what it is, but it is just stuff, I guess. Uh, but then, you know, you move forward a little bit. The divorce became final. I met uh, an absolutely amazing, amazing, amazing woman who is is now my wife, the mother of my children. Um, she makes me so incredibly happy. And uh, I can't say enough about her. Um, 
My wife, Sarah, is absolutely incredible. I couldn't do anything without her. So thankful that I have her in my life. After um, meeting Sarah and our, our dating, if you will, uh, I had maintained this job at a, uh, a heritage and organic farm. Uh, Seed Savers Exchange is the name of it. It is fairly well known uh, throughout the world, actually, if you're familiar at all with the seed bank in Norway, the Doomsday Seed Bank, where they collect all sorts of seeds uh, for the you know possible apocalypse and rebuilding of the earth. Uh, seed Savers Exchange has contributed uh, loads and loads of seeds to that. And you can find them. I love Seed Savers Exchange. They're local to me and a beautiful, beautiful place and a wonderful organization. I loved working there. It was so different from anything that I had done before. But I rapidly grew to absolutely love everything about it and the job itself. I also began to get my physical life in order. Um, I had said that I had been overweight pretty much my entire life. At that point, I started taking my health really seriously. And I, over the course of about a year, I lost 100 pounds and was down to a slim, I shouldn't say slim, uh, I was down to a, a fairly, you know, rugged, 210 pounds, felt great about myself, ran a half marathon, was running all the time, lifting weights. Um, I had great muscle definition. I was very, very happy with where I was. Um, and then Sarah and I got married. And with getting married and taking in her uh, two-year-old at the time, son, Nathan, it created all sorts of new um, priorities and new challenges. And with that, uh, my health, my, my fitness and everything kind of went by the wayside a little bit. Um, I ended up gaining pretty much all the weight back and that's, that's a whole nother story. There's another thing that, you know, chalk that up to, but going back to my work, you know, my work was a big part of me losing all that weight because it was a very physical job. I was out in the field a lot and doing a lot of physical work. I love the job, like I said, I absolutely did, and I wanted nothing more than to continue to support the job and support the organization, especially because they gave me the sense of belonging to something that was doing great things. It gave me a sense of fulfillment for my job, and I tried to progress within the company. There wasn't a lot of progression room, but basically I tried to get moved up and got passed over three different times. One time, the first time I applied, they hired outside the company. Uh, that was a little bit of a slap in the face to me. They hired somebody who had a college degree. That was the difference. They had no experience really in the field that we were working in. No experience at Seed Savers, obviously. And I had already had a solid year or more under my belt of being there and knowing everything that I needed to know for the job. Now, that being said, the guy that they hired turned out to be a tremendous asset to the company and ended up being a very good friend of mine still to this day. Uh, he later left the company while I was still there to pursue something better for his family, which no one could blame him for. Um, but then I applied a second time when they had an opening for this position, and uh, that time they decided not to hire anybody for the position. They divvied the responsibilities up amongst other people. But they had told people internally, who it later got back to me, 
that they decided not to hire for that position because they didn't feel they had any qualified applicants. Now, to be fair, I was fully qualified for this position. There wasn't anything that I couldn't do. There wasn't anything that I wasn't eager and willing to learn, and they knew this. The third time that I applied for this position, uh, I applied and felt very good about it. Again, all three times I felt great about how I did. And um, I got turned down again. They hired again from outside the company. That was really the last straw there at that point. I started looking for other employment because I couldn't see myself going anywhere further. And with what I was making, there wasn't any way that I was going to be able to consistently do that and support my family. Um, especially because at that point, my wife had gotten very ill, um, had to have uh, fairly, uh, I don't want to say emergency surgery, but it was somewhat urgent surgery to have her gallbladder removed. And then uh, a complication after that required another surgery. And before we found out about her, her gallbladder issue, we found out she was pregnant. And then before she could have the gallbladder surgery, we lost the, the baby. Um, and she had to have a procedure after her gallbladder surgery for the, the loss of the child as well. Um, There's a lot, lot going on there at the end of that year. And um, that was rough. So then I needed to change careers or find something different because I wasn't making enough to really survive, for for our family to survive. So uh, I found another opportunity, a, an employer that I am still at to this day. Um, pay is very well, very good. The job is fairly easy, I would say. Um, mundane, but I can put on a set of headphones, listen to music or podcasts, and just kind of go about my day. I know what I need to do, and I handle myself well. So that happened, and since then, my my wife and I had a, a, had a baby, had a, a son, and um, found out we were pregnant with him and, and all the joy that came in with that. Uh, while she was pregnant with him, we lost my, my grandfather, which was a, a big loss. Um, I don't want to say we were super close, but we, we were fairly close and, um, that was hurt. That hurt a lot. That started a real division in my family as well. Um, with how the estate was going to be handled and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, it's just, just hard, really, really hard to deal with something like that with a family that had been so close for so long. Uh, and then you know, my, my wife and I had have had long discussions about, you know, what's going on as far as my job and everything like that. Like, I've, I haven't had any major issues with my job, but I have been over the past year or so been feeling a little bit of a glimmer of this, you know, what am I doing? Is this something that I want to be doing for the rest of my life kind of thing, and I know a lot of people work for this specific company for their entire careers and in the position that I'm in and do incredibly well for themselves, and that's great. I have no problem with that, but I do have issues with the the job in general, and that creates another anxiety in me, and then you throw in, you know, this, this, is, this is 2020 still. Um, you throw in everything that's happened here in 2020. And it creates a very, very tough environment. Um, I work in uh, aerospace design and manufacturing. Basically, I help make 
parts for the internal workings of airplanes, whether they be for control panels or you know various assemblies for um, arrays, outside arrays, antenna arrays, so on and so forth, all this other stuff, right? All this stuff that we make. Um, once COVID-19 hit, you throw the stress of not knowing what's going to happen in the world on top of everything else, and then the fact that our production numbers started to go down and down and down and down and down um, to the point that they offered uh, voluntary early retirements. They offered, um, they started putting people on furlough, voluntary furlough. Um, I was furloughed for six weeks in June and July. And then after that, six weeks straight, I should say. And then after that began this one or two weeks on, one week off. One or two weeks on, one week off. All this business. And for those of you that maybe haven't experienced anything like that before, unemployment is not a paycheck. That's not not equivalent to a paycheck. You're getting a portion of your paycheck. And yes, I understand during the early parts of this when I was furloughed and was getting unemployment, um, you know, I did have the bonus thanks to the, the United States government offering the extra bonus for unemployment due to COVID. And that was a huge help. But that has since run out. And even with, you know, after that running out, I'm still on this furlough left and right thing, kind of one week on, one or two weeks on, one week off. Um, now this is my, I'm, I'm was furloughed the week before Thanksgiving. We were fur, all furloughed the week of Thanksgiving. And I was told I will be furloughed the week after Thanksgiving. So there's three weeks straight. On top of that, we found out that um, our specific center is overstaffed by X amount. I'm not going to get into specific numbers, but um, that's something that needs to be corrected by the end of the year. Obviously, that sounds like uh, layoffs. And that's scary. That's really scary. And the reason why is there were people that were let go that previously that were there longer than I had been. And um, it creates a lot of uncertainty, especially in, in someone like myself who struggles with some things, um, some anxieties and some depression. And then on top of that, now with these furloughs and everything like that, we're looking at, you know, just before Christmas, finding out that people are probably going to be fired. And uh, that's scary. That's very scary. So there's a lot going on in that sense. Um, I also have a somewhat strained relationship with uh, my now son, completely adopted son. Mine shares the last name and everything. Uh, five-year-old, soon-to-be six-year-old son. Um, we have a funny relationship. He He's very defiant, and he knows how to push buttons with me, and um, he does it well, and, and it's it's tough. We try. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying lots of different things, but that creates some more stress on myself. Um, couple that with the fact that this job that I have pays considerably better than anything that I would be able to find if I were laid off. If I were to get laid off, I would probably take almost a 50% pay cut, no matter where I went. And that's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Um, that's a lot of money. Now, my family, we've talked about it. My wife and I have talked about it. We would survive. We'd be fine. But 
it's still hard, especially now when we're coming up on the holidays around Christmas. And of course, not only is Christmas in December, my wife's birthday is the day after Christmas. Our five, soon to be six year old, was born December 16th. And my son, who's going to be two this year, was born December 13th. So December is a very expensive month. So all of this all together is just creating a lot of extra stress this holiday season for me. Um, I've had a lot of things because of COVID. A lot of the things that I'm very passionate about outside of my family have come to a grinding halt. I am a huge pro wrestling fan, and professional wrestling, while you can still watch it on TV, the local professional wrestling that I would go to once or twice a month has basically shut down completely, um, taking away a big source of you know, time for myself. Um, we moved in with my in-laws, which is another stressful situation in and of itself. We went from having our own home to now sharing a home. We have you know, a bedroom, the boys have a bedroom, and we have one extra room, which is office slash family room. Um, that on top of my in-laws and I being very, very different in our um, political and moral beliefs and views, which is fine. I have no problem with that. Everybody is welcome to their own opinion, and I respect that. It just creates some, some stressful situations at times. Um, it just is a lot that's gone on here in 2020, and I don't have it nearly as bad as some people do. I really don't. I understand that, and I recognize that, um, but I can't. It's not something that I can shake necessarily. So what do I deal with? What do I deal with as far as actual mental health issues? Let's talk about this a little bit more. Um, I can't really identify 100% because I haven't been clinically diagnosed, but in my opinion, I have a I deal with uh, situational depression, where there are times, there are certain days that I just am just completely down. Stuff will go, stuff could go right, and it would still be down. Stuff goes wrong, and it still is down. It's not every day. There are some days that I have that are very good, and seem to go well. Um, but there are days that are bad. Days where I have to get away, I have to do something, I have to get out, I have to you know, seclude myself, whatever you want to call it. So it's, it's difficult. And, um, anxiety is another thing that I deal with. Um, I worried a, a lot about a lot of different things. There's a lot of stuff in the world to be worried about right now, or that you can be worried about. And I deal with them. Um, like I said, my wife is tremendous in the help that she provides, she knows that I struggle at times, and she's always there for me, and uh, always willing and pushing me to for help, and um, to to reach out for help if I need it, and to do what I need to do to 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 get through what I need to get through. Um, she she's my rock. Um, my kids are a big source of what helps me get through. I love the two of them to death. And uh, I know that they're, they're everything in my life on top, of, on top of that with my wife. Just everything to me, my family is. Um, so, yeah, I, I deal with an awful lot. I deal with a lot of 
anxiety and like situational depression, like I said. I also deal with a lot of fear, uh, fear of failure and success. Um, failure, of course, that being pretty self-evident, you know, worrying about what other people think about me. Um, that's one of my biggest problems that I need to try and get through. Fear of success, those of you that may not be familiar with it, is something that's interesting. Any time that somebody says that they have a fear of success, it kind of goes along with a fear of failure. You know, if you do succeed in what you're doing, like this podcast, for instance, you know, my whole goal is it for just to be a resource for people. Say it were to do very well and go places and get bigger, which I would love for that to happen, but it's not really my goal. Um, I worry about that happening, though. That would put a spotlight on me. That would put a spotlight on my work and opens people up to new criticisms and, and things like that. I don't deal with criticism well sometimes. So there's a fear of success in that, too. And with fear of success and fear of failure comes imposter syndrome. I don't belong here. I don't belong, you know, doing well. I don't belong speaking to some of the people that I'm going to speak with, that kind of thing. It's all stuff that that coincides and rolls in together and creates an ugly cocktail of stress and depression and not wanting to do things that genuinely interest me. Um, you know, content to sit and watch TV or video games and just completely forget about everything else and waste time. Um, it's it's frustrating knowing that I'm dealing with this and knowing that I can get past this. Uh, you know, frustrating that I'm still dealing with what I often in my head perceive as a failure in marriage. That I failed at college. That I have failed at a job that I couldn't progress in. Um, all these things failed at, at so much stuff and it just eats at my mind one of the things that i love to do is i i listen to certain podcasts and you know they mean an awful lot to me they help me a lot there's podcasts that i listen to when i'm in good moods and podcasts that i listen to when i'm not doing so well podcasts that i listen to when i'm in good moods tend to be focused on, around my passions professional wrestling uh, wrestling figure collecting toys action figures if you will um, and when I'm not doing so well, I focus on positivity and trying to build that up. Podcasts out there like The School of Greatness by Lewis Howes or The Robcast by Rob Bell. Podcasts that really lift me up and and help me to move forward and, and try and see things in a better light. And those types of podcasts are really what inspired me to do this show and start this show. Because I know I have friends who deal with these kinds of issues on a daily basis. And that's really the goal here is I'm going to be bringing people on to talk so that it's not just me talking like this, the episode has been the whole time. But bring people on to talk about what they deal with, how they cope, what they do to get out of their ruts and, and move forward and focus on such positive things to share this kind of stuff with the world so that somebody out there who may be not ready to deal publicly with what they're dealing with can hear that somebody else out there is, is going through the same thing. And this is what they do to do to beat it. This is what they do to make it through the day. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things from, I'm going to be talking from to people from, from friends 
to uh, spiritual leaders, to uh, physical, personal trainers, to people who help professional athletes achieve great things physically in their prime. This is going to be really tremendous. I'm really looking forward to talking to more and more people. If you know, if anybody can take anything from this, that's really my goal. So that being said, I'm going to just kind of stop here, uh, stop kind of talking and give a little bit of information for those of you. I'm also going to be highlighting in these shows, highlighting organizations and groups that deal with this kind of thing and the people that are associated with them so that there are places to turn. So one thing I want to do is talk a little bit about, you know, where you can find me because I want you to know if you're listening to the show and you struggle in any way shape or form with anything mental health related, you can reach out to me and I would be happy to listen and help in any way that I can. And even if that means that I just point you in the right direction, uh, that's that's what I'm here for. If I can't help you, I want to get you the resources that can help you. And so what I'm going to do now is give you just a little bit of information here. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. This is something that is extremely important. I have never been to the point where I was planning a suicide in any way, shape, or form. It's something that definitely had kind of crossed my mind at several points during my life, but never was anything that was serious. But if you or anybody you know has thoughts of suicide or thinking that the world or their loved ones or even themselves would be better off if they weren't here, um, pass this information along to them because that's not the case. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day. This is something that is I, I strongly, strongly believe in. It's free and confidential support for people in distress prevention and crisis resources. That's huge. Crisis resources. We all need crisis resource. You can go on their website, and uh, that's suicidepreventionlifeline.org, and you can actually like chat with somebody if you want to do it that way, or if you want to call and reach out to somebody on, or on a phone, you can call 1-800-273-8255. I'm going to repeat it. 1-800-273-8255. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's a big resource that I think everybody needs to know about. So, if you need to reach out, find me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Wendog27. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search Josh Wenes, W-E-N-N-E-S. You can find me there. I don't have social media pages up for the actual show yet, but I'm going to be getting them, so listen on future episodes for that. Uh, But reach out. Please reach out. Um, We're here for you. We want to help. I specifically want to help anybody that needs it. And keep an eye out for the next show coming, hopefully here within the next week or so. Uh, I've got a lot of great guests coming on with with great backgrounds. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk to people and get their kind of perception on what they do to beat these odds or what people think different implications of these, these issues can be and what it can lead into how to prevent it, how to deal with it, how to cope. So I want to thank you all again for listening. I appreciate the support here. I know it's been a long show of just me rambling. I apologize for that, but I felt it necessary to kind of lay a groundwork as to who I am and why I'm here and what makes me so passionate about these issues and what 
what I hope to get out of this podcast. Uh, definitely reach out to me if you need anything or if you'd like to be a guest or know somebody who should be a guest on the show. I would love to have more guests. Um, as I said, I'm laid off for the next couple of weeks, so I've got lots of time. So definitely hit me up and we can try and work something out to record and talk and have all sorts of good conversation regarding mental health and the battle that you're dealing with. And remember, folks, if you're having a specifically a, a bad day out there, or even a good day, but it has its bad moments. Remember that you are enough. Anything is possible. And you can beat whatever it is that's in front of you if you just surround yourself with the right resources and the right attitude. And we'll talk to you next time and prepare you for the next battle on mental fisticuffs.